All right, welcome. It is. Oh, there he is. All right, there he is. Um, I'm here to the first ever video run to daylight program. I am your host, Todd Burroughs. You can find me on Twitter, as it says on the screen, at Todd from PA. I don't even have to tell people 1D. It's right there. Um, new generation of the Run to Daylight program in a lot of ways. Um, but at the heart of it, it's going to be the same show it always was. Great content, um, great best ball content, great season-long content, hopefully. And, you know, my whole theory for those who've listened before is I'm a player who happens to enjoy podcasting, not a podcaster who dabbles in playing. And I use my podcast as a way to learn and get better. Everyone learns differently. And I try and, you know, put myself in your guys' shoes and what you guys need to be better players. And you can join me on the journey. Um, this year, I'm very glad that we are once again um, supported by our friends over at the FFPC. Um Thank you for our friends. See, I love this banner. I love this stream. <laughs> this is going to be fun. I'm going to have a lot of fun with this stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, and you, there's the there's the logo. Slow and live drafts filling daily, all different types. They have slim drafts. Um, I, I tend to be found in the six-hour slow drafts because I'm old, as now you can literally see. And um, I, I go to bed early. So... I really love the FFPC. It, uh, I, you know, there was another site I had been talking to. Push came to shove. I decided I wanted to work with the FFPC because that's where I like to play the most. And um, but we are going to cover all the sites. We're going to cover uh, one of them tonight in Drafters. We've got a couple guests coming, but first, I am very, very excited to introduce my new guest host, Eric Moody. You can find him at Eric N Moody. Um, on Twitter, and Eric, welcome to the show. Yeah, I'm very excited to be here. You know, I'm doing so good. Uh, you know, I'm doing so good. I feel like it's illegal. You know, I'll tell you, Todd, I'm doing phenomenal. I'm looking forward to uh, starting this next leg of the journey with you. Absolutely. So, uh, why don't you uh, share with everyone a little bit about your past? I saw a really cool photo of you the other day, my friend. Uh, in your high school football <laughs> uniform. Yeah. I, mean, I, I never was, I look like a football player, but I wasn't. You look like a football player and you were. Tell us a little bit about your life up until this point. Um, and of course, what you've done in fantasy up to this point. No, no, absolutely. Yeah, it was funny with that uh, with that photo uh, with my, my buddy, uh, Cleveland Patterson, who, uh, who posted that. Uh, he was the other gentleman in that photo. So it's hard to believe it's been, uh, been that long, but uh, born and raised in uh, Alabama. Uh, college in Louisiana, had a nickel state, you know, lived in New Orleans, but then a Hurricane Katrina is actually what brought me to the uh, to the Dallas area. But as you can tell, obviously on Twitter uh, and on, uh, you know, all the, the content that I create, I have a lifelong passion for the game uh, of football. So I did have a chance to play at the collegiate level at uh, nickel state, you know, for a few seasons as a offensive lineman. I would say uh, professionally, I've spent most of my career in the uh, financial services uh, arena. You know, I've worked for multiple Fortune 100 companies and uh, various management earning or, and advice earning or roles. Stealing. Uh, earning or stealing? I would say neither. Neither, <laughs> Todd. Neither. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I know. I know I mean, what right. I mean by that is, you know, like people look at stockbrokers in a certain yeah. way. 
Um, what what do you do in the financial services industry? Yeah, right now I work with uh, work with USAA, so I lead a uh, retirement income team uh, there. So essentially, just helps uh, USAA members uh, plan for retirement and just make sure they've got you know all their income source their guaranteed sources of income like in place you know whenever they retire. So I love that. That's great. Um, you know, I you see their commercials all the time, and uh, you know, thank God for our service people. Um, all right, so uh, we're going to get to a little bit more of Eric um, and a little bit more um, as we go along with our friends at the FFPC. I do want to mention to everyone, and again, I apologize in advance. I will get better at using these tools, but there is a comment section. So if you want to come on and insult me, uh, my lack of hair, my lack of uh, in-depth uh, analysis, whatever, or if you have questions during this show, um, you know, I, do, I will look and uh, at times I will let you guys jump in. Uh, I want this to be interactive. I want you guys to feel part of it. Um, so we're going to do that. Eric, you've written for a couple sites oh, yeah. and you also have your own site, correct? Yeah, yeah, that, that's correct. Yeah, I've, I've written at a lot of different sites. I started off at a fantasy football locker room. You know, I've written... I think up to this point, over 500 articles total uh, over the last like six years, you know, obviously for the athletic, you know, Rotoviz, you know, fantasy pros, you know, two QBs, dynasty league football, four for four, Roto baller and uh, fantasy data. But I did decide to uh, start my own newsletter. You know, the newsletter is on uh, a platform called uh, Substack. And so uh, it's called Moody Fantasy Facts. And so it really gives me an opportunity to kind of write about some things that I haven't had a chance to write about before but also really to bring together uh, a, a lot of different resources, whether it's, you know, things from pro football focus, you know, or Rotoviz or fantasy data or other sites. And really my main goal is to help any of my subscribers, you know, get smarter about fantasy football. It's really all about providing that thought provoking and metrics driven analysis, uh, you know, for the NFL regular season and also the off season. So. Yep. And that's what I was looking for. I mean, I, you know, there were some very nice people who wanted to fill the role that you're now filling. And, um, but I wanted someone who was more ana uh, analytically driven um, mm -hmm. to bring something to the podcast that I don't, that, that I struggle with, frankly. Math is, is not, is, I won't say it's my mortal enemy, but it's something that I, it doesn't come naturally to me like talking, for instance. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, all right, that's great. Um, I know that you have written an article uh, recently, and mm -hmm. it was on 16 wide receivers primed to break out. Um, yeah. MVS is a guy who I think is a great best ball wide receiver. He's someone who has um, definitely flashed, and he was a little bit more consistent mm -hmm. last year. We always talk about you know, earning Aaron Rodgers' trust, and he oh, seemed yeah. to do that a lot better last year. Uh, why are you so high on MVS? Yeah, it's uh, I've just always been a huge fan of uh, MVS. I'm like, you look at last year, I'm like, you finished second on the Packers in receiving yards, 691 yards, had the second highest yards per reception among receivers who had 20 or more targets. He also had a lot of air yards, you know, a little bit over 1,100 air yards, ranked second on the team behind Devontae Adams. But really the basis of this article uh, was that it's all around like receiving fantasy points over expectation. 
And that's really like a metric for where you can determine like how efficient a player was, you know, with his rushing attempts or targets, you know, really with his opportunities. And one thing when you look at uh, MVS, I'm like, you finished last season with a receiving fantasy points over expectation of 36.5. So that really means that he scored 36 PPR fantasy points more than expected. Now, I know he finished last season with 60 targets. Uh, you know, there were six games in which he finished with three or fewer. And so, in my opinion, he did enough statistically to further solidify his role, you know, as the number two receiver, you know, for 2021. And so I do see with a guy like NVS getting additional targets in 2021, is going to be able to elevate like his fantasy season or his fantasy ceiling, excuse me, significantly. Well, there's a couple things that I really like about him, especially for best mm-hmm. ball. Yeah. For best ball, you don't have to pick which weeks he's going to have, have um, the targets. And and yeah. when he has the targets, he makes big plays. Mm-hmm. And in best ball uh, spike weeks, we're going to have uh, – we're going to do a lot over the course of the offseason on spike weeks and mm-hmm. how important they are to best ball to be able to put up that high-end yeah. score um, and to separate you from the pack in, in a tournament where technically – there's 12 people, but you're aiming for first place, right? You know, yeah. second place, if there is a prize, it's often not very much. Um, third place, if there is a prize, it you might not even make your entry feedback. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're aiming for first place, and spike weeks are very important. Uh, and the third thing is MVS, you know, in FFPC right now, I'm seeing him available in the low 20th rounds. So I love guys who... You know, he doesn't have to do what you said, uh, Eric, and um, get better to pay Mm -hmm. off that price point. He can pay off that price point um, just by doing what he's already done. Mm -hmm. And so if there is room for upside, as you say, um, that's the kind of floor ceiling that we're looking for. Mm -hmm. Um, Next up on your list is Gabriel Davis. Now, you wrote this article before the release of John Brown, correct? I did, yes. I also wrote another article that's more in-depth on the Gabriel Davis breakout. But just looking at his receiving fantasy points over expectation, you know, I wanted to include him in this article. And so I think multiple signs suggested that John Brown, you know, would end up getting released. I'm like, you look at the, the number of games that John Brown played. I'm like, the Bills could save, you know, $8 million in cap space just kind of before this transaction cutting John Brown. And so like with Davis, it just to kind of give some All right. statistical nuggets on this last season, starting in 11 of them. All right. We lost you for um, a second there, but you seem to oh, be back. Okay. Or we lost. Okay. Somewhere. All right. Um, all right. So yeah. And the, the, the only thing I have to say about Eric, uh, about Gabriel Davis, um, I really wonder how much his ADP is going to spike up um, afterwards. Right, you look frozen again. Why don't you try calling back in, Eric? I'm gonna I'm gonna take you out. No, I'm gonna try and add you to the stream. So of course, first podcast. Um we're having some technical difficulties. I don't know what to say because I haven't dealt with this before. Let's see. All right. I took Eric out. Um, I don't know what to do, but uh, 
we'll wait and see if Eric can get back. Up oh, there he is. I'm back. Right. <laughs> hey, the joys, the joys of technical difficulties, but uh, I can pick up with uh, Gabriel Davis and just kind of fill yeah. in that gap. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so you know Gabriel Davis. I know we're talking about the John Brown news. You know, of John Brown getting, uh, you know, getting cut and released. You know, saved a lot of cap space for the Bills. But you look at Davis. I'm like, he played in 16 games last season. He started in 11 of them. I'm like, this is a guy that finishes a wide receiver three or better in 81% of his games. He had 60, 62 targets, 35 receptions, 599 receiving yards. Had a lot of air yards too. You know, 945. Absolutely. Right? I'm like the only other receiver on the Bills uh, that had more, you know, was Stephon Diggs. And so if you look at Davis's, you know, college dominator ranking or, or rating, excuse me, you know, player profiler, I'm like, it suggests that, you know, he can be a very, very productive player. And so really with John Brown moving on, I'm like, if you weave in like his targets and air yards uh, over to Davis, I'm like, he's a prime breakout candidate. I can tell you and I are going to get along really well because the mm -hmm. next guy on your list is a guy yeah. – that I'm super high on, uh, Ty Tyron Johnson. I mean, I was really impressed. You know, I played him in DFS a couple yeah. of weeks. Um, Guyton was the one who seemingly was the darling. Mm -hmm. um, but Tyron was the one who, you know, I, I just love the way he cut, you know, and, and would get open. And mm -hmm. he, he just flashed. And he's basically free in drafts right now. I, I've been getting him in the 25th, 26th round. And I've actually been stacking him with Guyton yeah, because if Mike, if Mike Williams, you know, we get one in the 25th and one in the 26th. Mm -hmm. If Mike Williams doesn't come back and Hunter Henry doesn't come back, one of those guys is going to really pay off that uh, that draft spot. But Absolutely. tell me why you like Tyron Johnson so much. Yeah, looking at last year, I'm like, you look at Johnson, like he's an undrafted, wasn't an undrafted rookie uh, from back in 2019. Oklahoma State, you know, yet Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, you know, they had some injuries. He had a chance to showcase his talents. Like the guy only played 265 snaps, caught 20 of 26 targets, you know, for 398 receiving yards, three touchdowns. Uh, what was very interesting, Todd, is that 11 of those 26 targets were 20 yards or more downfield. Yep. Now we got Justin Herbert, Associated Press NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year last season. Now here's a here's a nugget for you. I'm like, he had a passer rating of 156.7 when throwing the ball to Johnson. And so you look at this 25-year-old receiver, he has a legitimate chance, you know, to become one of Herbert's top targets. I'm like, especially in the intermediate to deep parts of the field. And so um, he's another guy who ended up on this list who finished with very high positive receiving fantasy points over expectation. And so with that, I'm like, he's a guy that can, to your point, he's a discount in drafts. I mean, he can really elevate or outperform that draft position. I love it. I love that mm -hmm. one. Uh, I'm going to try and uh, do something called share screen. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. Let's see if I can do this. All right. So what I wanted to show... Let's see if I can do it. I wanted to show Eric's uh, Moody. Can you see your, your your work there? Yeah, yeah, it's popping up on your screen. All right. So I wanted to show everyone, and, and this is something I'm going to incorporate a lot this year. Going to let you guys see my screen, um, especially when we're doing live drafts. We're going to do a number of live drafts this year, as we always do. So you can see Gabriel Davis, and both Moody and I worked at 
um, Rotoviz, and you can see his website is www.ericmoody.com. So his articles are not just, this is my feeling. His articles include, you know, things from Rotoviz, FFPC best ball draft picks for Valdez Scantling. There's all sorts of information there. Um, even a little video of Tyron Johnson um, is on his, um, well, let's not go crazy, but I, I just wanted to um, give you guys um, just some of the in-depth stuff that Eric gives you. Uh, it leads us to the next guy, Donovan Peoples-Jones. He was a guy who um, definitely had his opportunities last year. And he really didn't um, do too much with it, Eric. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, he does have the talent. What? Why do you think uh, in year two he can step up? Yeah, to your point, I know he didn't have a, uh, you know, have a ton of opportunities. I know once uh, OBJ went down, uh, that freed up some snaps, you know, targets. Uh, but, you know, going into the season, I mean, he had OBJ, Jarvis Landry, you know, Rashard Higgins. Uh, ahead of him. He did play a limited number of snaps. Um, I think they kind of bring everything together with a guy like Higgins. Um, you look at this year, you know, OBJ is recovering from his ACL injuries, expected to return. Landry, you know, should be operating on all cylinders. Uh, he, that's a guy that played through like multiple injuries last season. But with Higgins, you know, on the other hand, he's an unrestricted free agent. This receiver free agent market, in my opinion, is saturated. Like it's possible that he doesn't sign another one-year contract to stay in Cleveland, which would open the door for Peoples Jones. Now, the, the rookie did catch 14 to 20 targets for 304 receiving yards, you know, two touchdowns. Uh, one thing with Baker Mayfield, he did have a passer rating of 145.8 throwing to Peoples Jones last season. And he did finish the season with positive uh, receiving fantasy points over expectations. So it's one of those scenarios for where if he gets that additional opportunity and targets, I'm like, he can easily outperform like his ADP. He's another guy that I think is essentially free in drafts right now. Absolutely. Another guy that I really like on this list um, mm -hmm. is next. Um, he, he definitely played well last year after Will Fuller went down. Mm -hmm. um, he was, a, I think, a victim of Bob, um, you know, that that um, the victim know, of Bob. <laughs> yeah, like that. <laughs> the, 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 the Bob just, uh, you know, fell out of love with him. Yeah, probably for some minor infractions. Uh, but Keiki Kute played very well last year. Uh, Will Fuller is an unrestricted free agent. Um, uh, are you seeing the same things? that I was seeing with Kute last year. Yeah, I think we're calibrated here because uh, to your point, Will Fuller, like he's an unrestricted free agent, and uh, you've got the presence of vertical receiver Brandon Cooks. I just think that's one sign that's pointing to Fuller, you know, playing on another team next season. You know, the Texans, you know, to your point with, with, with Bob, uh, I'm like they have no high draft picks, little cap room. They don't even have any low draft picks, really. Yeah. Like, you it, know, I mean, they're just – <laughs> it's it, it's just it, it's terrible you know how the organization's been he, run he, he was the guy in your fantasy league that you know everyone can't wait to trade with and leaves after two you know a year or two because yeah. he's traded all his assets uh, in the future 
Uh, I mean, it was one of the worst decisions that I've seen any organization make. Um, and my team has Dave Gettleman as GM. Yeah, and and I just don't see Houston. They're unlikely to add like any major competition, like at receiver. Look at the Texans. I believe they'll lean more on on Kuti, Chad Hansen, and Isaiah Coulter next season. Like Kuti, you know, he's in this article. I'm like, he's obviously my favorite receiver out of that trio. Uh, he did have positive, you know, receiving fancy points over expectation. You know, he caught 33 of 40 targets. Uh, I just really see him being in a position to be a weapon for this team uh, in 2021 and beyond uh, under the new regime, I think regardless of who's under center. So this isn't dependent solely on like Deshaun Watson coming back. I think he can thrive with anyone that they start under center for uh, 2021. So I'm assuming that Watson's not coming back. (laughs) Yeah, you know, but someone's going to have to catch passes from somebody. Exactly. And and Kute, like a lot of guys on your list, and I love this list, and I wouldn't say it if I didn't, Mm -hmm. um, are are a lot of the – if I had written this article, a lot of the same guys would have been on the list, but you just are really good at making the case for them and I always like to joke that as a writer, I'm a pretty good podcaster. Um, the next guy on the list is a guy that I wasn't on, uh, but you point to his route running has improved a lot. And I have got on the bandwagon, and I didn't have to exactly jump in with both feet. I got Traquan Smith in the 28th round of my last draft. Uh, Eric, I, I, I'm going to guess that you approve of that pick. I, I do. I'm like, if we were on Twitter, you can insert the, um, you know, the, the Henry Hill, uh, you know, laughing in the uh, in the club uh, gift because I'm just like, I was like, wow, that that that's a heck of a value. All right, so we look at Smith. Played 14 games last season, 50 targets, 34 receptions, 448 receiving yards, four touchdowns. He's been up and down. I get it. His entire career. But this is this is a guy that's filled the void when needed. Michael Thomas, high ankle sprain. I'm out after week one. Smith caught 13 to 16 targets for 182 receiving yards and two touchdowns during the Saints' next three games. Emmanuel Sanders, I'm getting calibrated with Drew Brees. Yeah, this is great. I get COVID-19. I'm like, he's out. So week seven and eight, Smith caught nine of 11 targets for 97 receiving yards over that time frame. I'll leave you with this, on, which will really demonstrate on how high I am on Traycon Smith, really having that optimal breakout is uh, or career career season, is that if you include the Saints um, quarterbacks uh, throwing to, um, to Smith, this includes the playoffs. Um, they had a passer rating of 145.3 when targeting him. And so last year was very unique for the Saints. The first time since 1997 that the Saints did not have a receiver accumulate more than 800 receiving yards. And so Smith had some key grabs in critical situations. And so I just think everything that he's shown up to this point in his career is all going to come together in 2021. Well, and, and, you know, Drew Brees just couldn't get the ball down the field anymore. And that's where Traquan shines. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, with the option of a new uh, quarterback, whether it's Taysom, um, especially if it's Jameis, I think that um, uh, uh, and again, you know, a lot's going to change. One of the key things that I've been talking a lot about, Eric, so far on Twitter mm-hmm. is the fact that this year, more than any other, 
with the salary cap for the first time that any of us can remember not going up by 10%, going down by 10%. And as much as these teams are resigning players to lower their cap, there's going to be a lot more players out on the market um, than there normally is. So, you know, we think we understand, you know, rule number one of 2021 is you think you know what a situation looks like, but you might not until it's all said and done. Mm-hmm. But we can only go by, and that, and that's why next week's show is just going to be Eric and I doing about an hour and a half of each team's cap. We're going to go team mm-hmm. by team, just Eric and I, and go through each team's cap and kind of look at the situations and try and give you guys a real sense of what might happen in free agency, not just in the short term, but in the long term as these guys start going to June cuts and things of that nature. And we'll do more on that. Um, we got another couple minutes before uh, James comes in. Mm-hmm. And uh, the next guy, boy, I was really on last year. And I, I'm starting to wonder about him. Miko Hardman, oh, we yeah. all know he's got the speed. Uh, we all know that he's got the speed. <laughs> and he's got the quarterback. Um uh, Sammy Watkins is gone this year. I think it's safe to assume. And they don't have a lot of money to, to bring in a lot of people. No. Um, tell me, you know, tell me, like, it, it seemed to me he almost regressed a little bit last year rather mm-hmm. than taking a step forward. Um, uh, did you see the same thing? Yeah, one, one thing with uh, Hardman, I know he didn't have as many – uh, deep targets, which was alarming. You know, he was less of a factor, you know, downfield. Like he caught 41 of uh, 62 targets for uh, 560 receiving yards and four touchdowns. Uh, to your point, I think he's a really nice value right now. He did have positive uh, receiving fantasy points over expectation. I think success or failure for him really comes down to, you know, to your point with uh, with Sammy Watkins. But the good news is, I'm like, he's, you know, he's tied to, you know, one of the most productive quarterbacks in the NFL and Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs offense, which is uh, one of the top. Now, one thing last year, I'm like Mahomes had a passer rating of uh, 116.3, you know, when targeting Hardman, uh, which is which is good. So I think one thing that he needs to do in the offseason, which will be key, is really take some time to develop more as a route runner, which could result in him getting more structured targets as opposed to those manufactured like touches. So I think that's what's going to be key for him to really take that next step and go to that next level for next year. So yep, I agree. I really like quite a bit. Yep. We got about one minute to, we're going to bring in our first guest. I do want to uh, just at least go through the names of everyone else on the list. Alan Lazard, Marquise Brown, Scotty Miller, uh, LaVisca Chenault, uh, mm-hmm. Henry Ruggs. Uh, there's some other names. Go check out Eric's article at ericnmoody.com. Um, Moody's Fantasy Facts. Uh, you might have seen on the screen uh, Moody's Mood for Love. I forget where I heard that from, but it, it, it's something that's out there. And uh, I, I think I'm going to screen that every time you like someone this year, Eric. Um, the one guy, the one guy out of that list that I am really high on that I think his ADP now is where it should have been last year um, is Marquise Brown. Yes. I, I think that Marquise Brown, you know, I knew 
in my, you know, I, I knew. I really believe that Lamar was going to regress as a passer. He was just, he was just too perfect um, in 2019. And I think he regressed more than I expected in 2020. Yeah. And I think 2021 will see something in the middle. Mm-hmm. And I think that Marquise Brown is the number one receiver there. And he's great for best ball with the spike weeks and his speed. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to see them throw more deep, deep shots to him. Um, your thoughts on Marquise Brown? No, I really like, uh, I really like Marquise Brown. Um, I know we're kind of running on the end of time. One thing that, um, that really resonated with me is that him and, uh, him and Lamar Jackson got off to a really, really slow start. Uh, they obviously were not on the same page. But if you look at the last uh, eight games of the season, and this includes the playoffs, I'm like Brown had 37 receptions for 564 yards and six touchdowns. So over that last eight games. So they were obviously more connected later in the season than earlier in the season. And so that's going to bode well for him uh, going into uh, next year. So, Yep, I agree. Um, I want to bring in our next guest, uh, James Brimsicombe. Did I uh, say that right, James? Uh, James Brimacombe. Brimacombe. Yep, you're good. I threw an extra S in for savings. (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah, it looks intimidating when you see the last name, but it's like, hello, I'm James Brimacom. No. <laughs> um, well, it's nice to finally meet you. We've uh we've been on these best ball streets together for a while. Um James, why don't you tell uh everyone a little bit about yourself and uh you know the fact that you're a very low volume uh best ball player. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I feel. <laughs> yeah, so um, a little bit of background on myself. Uh, actually, I'm from Toronto, Canada area. Um, but I've I live here in Salt Lake City, Utah area for the last twenty years. So, um, yeah, and I just uh, love DFS, love all those things. But best balls kind of taken over, uh, consumed me the last four or five years. So I really love the format. I think it it kind of gives me everything I love. I always uh, fantasy sports. The draft has always been so important to me. Um, so you have that aspect, and then you can. Uh, I'm a, I'm a numbers guy, so accounting is my day job. So I love like the ownerships. That's why I like doing so many a high volume. I can just kind of study the ADP. I can look at my ownership. I can flip flop on different players and such. Um, so it's more of like a numbers game, but I also love just the game of football in general. So it's a lot of strategy and yeah, I've battled against a lot of the people on Twitter, all the fantasy community and it's a great community. So I've, I've enjoyed it. (laughs) Yep. All right. Well, that, that's good. I'm glad to have you on. I'm, I'm playing around with screens. I'm playing around with, uh, well, I, I love these options. I mean, I wish I had done this a few years ago. The fact that I didn't is amazing. So um, I asked James to come on. Um, it looked like Drafters was going to be our sponsor. And, you know, like I said, last minute, a couple things happened. And I decided I, um, to go back with the FFPC. But the guy from Drafters that I spoke to couldn't have been nicer um, and I had heard so many good things about their, their product 
and they have come out with a best ball tournament that runs between now and the NFL draft. So if you're um, a degenerate like I am and like James is, when it comes to best ball, this gives you the opportunity to try and take down a 60K tournament, uh, 60K in total prizes. And uh, our friends over at Drafters, we do appreciate their interest in this podcast. And we're going to continue with this segment. And the thing that I, uh, for me, James, is I've never done a 10-team tournament, and a 10-team fantasy. I think I did one 10-team fantasy league in my life. And so I wanted you to come on. What is the main differences you find between doing a 10-team draft and a 12-team draft in best ball? Uh, yeah, so uh, even last year, I, I kind of experimented with three-man, six-man, 10-man, 12-man. So, but you always land back on the 12-man draft, right? That's the standard. So, but there, there's edges in each one of each one of those uh, different league sizes. And I think even on a 10-man draft, you, you're going to have a lot of drafters that they've done so many 12-man drafts that they're going to be in that same mindset. They're going to follow that ADP. They're going to kind of just go along with the draft. But um, I think on a 10-man draft, you can take a lot more chances. You can... Um, you're going to, that that turn's not going to burn you quite as much. So you can it maybe see a couple guys and you want one of them. You can kind of, you could kind of even wait a little bit longer. Um, you can wait on quarterback, tight end runs, uh, different things like that. Um, and also you can kind of go more of a top heavy, top heavy team. So I kind of, I played around with it. I've done a few of these just the last two days. I think I've done four or five of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I just finished one a couple hours ago that actually I was the happiest with. But uh, so I just different strategies to every draft. I personally, this it's a $5.55 entry on this drafters tournament, and it's a max entries of uh, 100 you can enter. So depending on how many you want to do, if you were only wanting to do five or 10 throughout the whole tournament, then you're going to want to maybe have a better strategy going in. For me, it was, I'm going to do five or 10 of these without even kind of thinking and, and kind of see how they go, look at them at the, at the end and kind of go from there. So yeah, that's after, after the first three or four, I've kind of had a better strategy and I, I think they're, they're beatable. Definitely. Um, some a little bit of uh, on drafters. I would like to just kind of give them a shout out. I know last year we were all so two years ago. Draft was bought out by FanDuel, um, and then last year early best ball we had very l- limited options of where to play. Um, for me, drafters kind of came along and they kind of filled that void for those first early months. Uh, so yeah, I'm kind of. I'm always going to show some loyalty to them for that. Um, they also have a lot of lower dollar entry fees. Um, I think they're the only one right now. Uh, they have dollar a dollar ten draft you can jump in. So anybody who's doing mock drafts, don't do those anymore. Just jump in a dollar draft and and actually yeah. um, even 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 for a dollar, people are are they're not going to leave a draft. They're going to kind of, they have money invested even as little as a dollar, but you're going to get stronger 
ADP, stronger rankings, and stronger drafters against you. So I kind of like the practice on, on those. So. Yeah, to me, to me at this point, the only mock drafts is when I see some drafts I don't like on Twitter and I mock them. Yeah, um, there you, go. you know, the, the, the concept of actually doing a mock draft um, holds no interest. Eric, you have a question? <laughs> yeah, I do. Uh, now I do. James, yeah, I appreciate you being able to, uh, to come on and uh, talk best ball with, uh, with Todd and I. So I do have a question for you. So I know we're talking about, you know, the differences with the 10-team draft and a 12-team draft. Mm-hmm. So can you dive a little bit deeper into how you believe it impacts uh, ADP or average draft position? Well, so so with only 10 teams, even if everyone took three quarterbacks, say, so that's 30 quarterbacks, and that, that doesn't happen very often. So it's usually mm-hmm. really you have some people dying on the two-quarterback hill and then some on the three. Yeah. So, so you're probably looking at maybe 25 quarterbacks um, throughout the whole draft, and the same kind of goes with tight end. So right there, there's a little bit of edge, so you can kind of – once you do a few drafts, you get familiar with them. You can kind of see where you can wait on those positions um, or or maybe you want to attack them earlier. So you just get that one stud right at the f- first of the draft. So mm-hmm. you can like I did one earlier today and I just went with Waller uh, in the third round. So I just wanted to lock that position up. And now mm-hmm. I now I can wait to, you know, round 16, 17 or whatever to get my second tight end or if I want to go a third one even later. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's a good way. Um, I think ADP in general, uh, drafters is actually not as the, if you draft an underdog, I don't know if, if anyone has, but mm-hmm. their, their ADP is so tight right now. Like you, <laughs> it, it, it's very, very strong and, and the values are kind of dwindling, but on drafters, it's kind of up and down more. So you can take a lot more chances. So I'll draft a couple of guys that maybe two rounds above where their ADP is or two rounds below. So you can mm-hmm. kind of take the players you like um, and and kind of focus more on higher ceiling players. I know best ball, you kind of always want to do that. But in 10 mans, you can really attack that more so. Mm-hmm. Um, so and, and this tournament specifically uh, – it is. It it doesn't matter if you win your ten man league. That doesn't matter at all because it goes by. Um, you got to beat sixty thousand or six thousand people, or I can't remember how many people are in this. I think it's six thousand. Yeah. So you you want to be the top of that six thousand. So even winning your ten man league might only win you back uh, your your entry fee. You know. So you want yeah. you want to go higher and, and yeah, and, and I and I want to cover that in a minute. Uh, mm-hmm. But I had a good question um, from Andrew Talixson. Um, Thanks for, for being a listener, Andrew. Um, he said, how do you handle stacking with the uncertainty in quarterbacks still being on the move and the draft yet to happen? Um, in general, um, I'll go to you first, James, and then Eric, and then um, I, I'll pipe in on this a little bit. But mainly, James, where the, the, the way I want you to answer it is – based on um, the tournaments right? stacking. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I'm sure that we've kind of had some Twitter conversations about stacking. You kind of <laughs> – sometimes I go back and forth on that. Um, for me, stacking is 
usually in best balls, everyone's like stacking number one, right? So for me, it's more values number one. So I want to find value. Um, as far as stacking goes, I like tradi traditionally it's quarterback with a receiver or sometimes quarterback with running back. But you can also stack wide receiver, wide receiver. Um, say you get both the Pittsburgh guys, you go with uh, Johnson and and Claypool, uh, but you don't want Ben. And instead, you go with maybe like more of a traditional, like a, a running quarterback. So you go with Tannehill or something like that. So that Tannehill could rush for two touchdowns um, and outscore Roethlisberger if he throws for four. So to me, that's kind of where I look at stacking. I look at it differently. Mm -hmm. um, Eric, what, what what are your thoughts? And then I'll jump in on that one if it's okay. No, no, that, that's fine. No, I uh, I do like the idea of, of stacking players. I just like to prioritize uh, players from you know high performing offenses. And really, one of my favorite stacks is uh, going with the quarterback, wide receiver, and tight end stack. But to James's point, I'm like, there's so many different options that you can uh, you can implement. Uh, you know, in best ball formats. But that's just kind of one of my favorite ones, you know, QB, you know, or wide receiver and tight end. Like as an example, uh, but you may actually be able to, to pull this off just given uh, ADP, especially if you're drafting kind of later in the first round. But, you know, even with having like uh, Travis Kelsey and uh, going with Tyreek Hill and then with Patrick Mahomes, like that would be an example of kind of one of those stacks. But you can, I'm like, you can implement this for a lot of different teams. But go ahead, Todd. Yeah, so I, you know, for me in regular best ball, James, mm -hmm. I use it as a tiebreaker, right? Um, to your point on value, I don't want to drop a tier to implement a strategy, right? Right. So if I'm on the board and I notice that I have, I'm going to take a quarterback and I look at my wide receivers and I see that I have Claypool on the team and Deontay, because I think you can get both right now. Uh, well, then it makes sense that if Ben is in the same tier as the other quarterbacks I'm considering, I use that uh, as a tiebreaker. Uh, I'm willing to chase it a little bit more in a tournament, uh, you know, where when you go week 14, 15, 16, and you're trying to put up big scores, I might, I might chase it a half round or even a round. I mm -hmm. think stacking becomes much more important in tournaments, but I think if you give away, it, it's what is the value that the stack is going to give you versus how much value are you losing by taking suboptimal picks? And you've got to kind of mix that. That's my thoughts, James. Uh, how do you feel about that? Well, just just saying that that example again on the Steelers. Say like say Johnson is Deontay Johnson grabs two touchdowns and Claypool gets four catches for forty yards. You know that stack is not. And then then you have Roethlisberger in there. So so technically, yeah, you have the three, but really, if you just stack the receivers too, like you're getting all that all that value, all that production just from the one player. But yeah, for, no, for sure. Like stack, I do stack and I, I kind of wait for it to fall to me and kind of, that's a good example. Like that would, that, that stack would fall to you. I'm sure. Um, so if you get the, so, so today I did one and I got, uh, so I went with Stefan Diggs and I think it was the second round 
And I kind of had my eye on Allen. I want to see where he would go, but I was hoping more like fifth or sixth round. Um, but he went in the early fourth round. He's going in the fourth. Sometimes so, the third. Yeah, and, and so so just this example. So I have Diggs, and then I, I miss out on Allen. I can't remember who I take in the fifth. Um, but then in the sixth round, I get Lamar Jackson. You know, so like Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, two round different. I think they kind of they could have that huge big week. You know, both of them could rush for those big touchdowns. But then later in the draft, um, all of a sudden Hollywood Browns there in the seventh, eighth round, and then yeah, I grab right. grab him. So technically, so I'm, at first maybe I'm going for that Bill stack, but then I actually fall into a Raven stack. So a lot of times that that will happen in these kind of drafts. Eric has the next question for you, James. All right. No, good stuff. Uh, good stuff, James. All right. So the question that I have for you, sir, I was so, so enthralled with the conversation. I was like, what question I was going to ask here. So um, we're, we're getting get, the kinks out. <laughs> we're getting the kinks out. It might take all year, but we're going to get the kinks out. Now, I don't think it, I don't think it'll take that long. So um, I, I'll throw this one out to you. So I guess the complaint against like 10 team leagues is that you know, it doesn't give you as much opportunity to win like with the different sleepers, you know, that are, that are out there. I would say, what are the differences when you're looking at some of those sleepers, you know, a little bit later in the draft, double digit rounds, like what are the differences positionally uh, from 10 team leagues to 12 team leagues? Hmm. No, that's a good question. Uh, like I said like earlier, I think the quarterback and tight end position, you can kind of wait on those. So maybe you can get some of your sleepers there. Um, the nice thing about drafters, it is a, it's a 20 man roster. Mm-hmm. So I know underdog is 18, maybe a few other ones are 18. So you have, even on a 10 man, you have a chance those last couple of rounds to get the sleepers that you like still. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I kind of tend to go running back heavier. The first of yeah. my drafts, I, I don't want to take as many chances on those in the late, yeah. like taking like a Benny Snell or, McFarland or something like that. I don't know if that's crazy wise when I could be taking like a James Washington or a, a Higgins uh, at their wide receiver instead. So I'd rather get my running backs out of the way before then. Um, and yeah. I think, I think there's more value on the wide receivers at the end of the drafts. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Cause I'm like, if you build a solid core of, like early running backs, you know, with the bigger workloads, like you mentioned, you don't want to roll the dice with Benny Snell. Is he going to get the opportunities? Is he, you know, is he not? And you can really swing for the fences to your point uh, a little bit later in the draft, you know, when you're looking at wide receivers. So no, that's, you know, well said. Well, and another thing about the running backs um, and it could even work with receivers. I think Mm -hmm. uh, the second half of the drafts, you really want to, I know, you want to take those rookies because by the end of the year, by end of week nine, 10, you're going to have these third string rookie running backs are going to be starting. So if you already have three starting running backs, like your fourth, fifth and sixth, like you should look at these younger running backs um, on the depth chart. Um, maybe you, you hit a home run with a rookie or, yeah. or maybe. Yeah. So that that's kind of how I kind of like to look at that position too. I, I like you know. that. I, I th- That's a good one. Um, you know, we talk a lot about roster construction and we're going to cover basic roster construction um, as we move along. I think you have to do that um, every year. Um, 
but um, I, I think that where strategy, we don't get as much strategy is what James just brought up, which is how to mix. Like, I want six running backs, right? But where and how and what kind of running backs are, make up your six is still a big advantage and something that isn't covered as much in content, James. Right. Uh, yeah, I, we, go ahead. Go. No, I was just going to say, I people really just get stuck on the ADP and just drafting by, hey, you should draft three quarterbacks, six running backs, seven wide receivers, two tight ends, follow the ADP or your own rankings, um, and then you're done at the end. But there's a lot more to it than that. Andrew had a follow-up question for you, James, and I like it as well. Um, where do you find a greater edge, 18-round draft or 20-round draft? I, I know my thoughts. Uh, I, I've i been battling with underdog. I love underdog. I'm never, I'll am i never say a bad thing about underdog, but I think that 20 rounds is a – you should have 20 rounds, especially with all these rookies, especially with free agency – and injuries uh, and injuries and especially COVID. last year with the COVID, it was ridiculous right so yeah i'm definitely on the 20 man i would i'd prefer a 22 man to be honest but i i would too i suggested that to the ffpc um yeah. but I, I won't get into that right now um but i i, I think um the, the answer to that question andrew is how good are you right <laughs> like how much research do you have so if if I'm in a draft with a bunch of sharks who are, you know, watching tape and know everything, well, the more rounds there are, the more of an edge they're going to have. If you know oh, the yeah. most, well, then the longer the draft, the bigger your edge. It, you know, but if you're someone who is new to this, trying to work your way in, I would I would say start with a shorter draft where it, you, you narrow the edge. Eric, your thoughts on that? No, I, I would agree with that because I'm like, if you're more, I guess, well-versed in, you know, the rookies, you know, just players in general, the longer the draft goes on, you're still going to be able to identify some players that I'm like, you can pick up, but a novice, they may be looking like, who's, who, who's this guy? I have no idea who this guy is. Name sounds cool. I'm going to pick him. But and so you're going to lose that edge because you're going to draft someone for where you're not going to be able to get that uh, return on investment. Where if there's someone that's more informed, you know they're like a sniper targeting players that are out there. So that's just my take. I love these comments, boys. I mm -hmm. love this. This is this is life, man. How, how did I ever do a podcast without all these comments? Thanks to the people who are throwing <laughs> them in. Um, Eric, you want to give James uh, one more good question, and then I'll I'll, uh, I'll I'll finish up with him. Yes, yeah, I can do that, Todd. So um, I know this will be a question that can help you know anyone that's watching, you know, listeners that are out there. So I would say with with drafters, I'm like, what are some of your key tips, you know, for drafting tournaments versus regular best ball? Uh, okay, so drafters for one. You want to know, just like any fantasy league you play in, you want to know the rules, you want to know the rosters, limits, and all, and all those things. But it is a full, full point PPR, so you want to know that going in. Um, but you want to 
you just you just want to know all that stuff inside out and you want to do i would say do five or ten of these just not even worrying about the money so putting a dollar in and just kind of getting a feel for it um and then come back look at them see where you went right see where you went wrong um see maybe you landed on you did 10 drafts and you got seven of the same guy so maybe you're like, oh, maybe I should move him down my rankings. I can still get him in around later, things like that. So you, you, you just want to look for any little edge you can, you can find. Um, so that's kind of how, I don't know if that answered your question or not, <laughs> but that's, well, I, I, yeah. I, I can take a, a shot at it. Mm-hmm. So uh, a couple things that I do differently in a tournament, James, is one, um, uh, like I already said, I'm more likely to look for a quarterback stack with a wide receiver. Um, and, may, and, and and definitely what I try and do, you know, with those late picks is take it, you know, you know how when you get to the 20th round of a draft, a lot of times you have like seven or eight guys that you have, you know, none of them have the opportunity that you're looking for, but you, you, they all have upside that's when I definitely will look to stack, right? You know, that's an easy add on stack with your last pick, even because if you drop value there, it's not going to kill you. Um, The second thing is you want to do some research into who these teams are playing week 14, 15, 16. Um, One of us mentioned about the, uh, uh, you know, drafting big offenses Um, you know, another way to do it is to target bad defenses. Now we don't always know, especially this early who that's going to be, but you know, that's where having a large, you know, like James talks about a large exposure, mixing up your exposure, uh, James, that was my biggest, um, that was my biggest, uh, weakness. I think two years ago when I had a really good run on draft. Um, but I had too many teams that were similar and they all didn't do good week 14, you know, week 14 Mm -hmm. and I was out. Um, You know, so I think those are three things that I like to do. I like to mix up my assortment more, stack a little more and especially stack that last pick with someone that's already on my team. No, I like that. Um, And just to add to just, so, so there is no playoff in this drafters contest. So you don't have to wor- really worry so much about 14, 15, 16, th- those later weeks. Cause it's oh, just, interesting. yeah, it's just like week one to week 16, or I guess there's going to be more weeks. So it might be to week 17 this year, mm-hmm. but so, yeah, so you don't have to quite worry about that as much, but definitely that stack at the end, that, 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 that is a g- good key. Um, but just, I had a thought just as you were talking too. Um, about how to attack these tournaments a little bit more as well. Um, I kind of brought it up where, so you want to get all your starters. You want to get those guys that are cemented in your two running backs, your receivers, your flex, um, tight end and quarterback. But after that, uh, so so these tournaments, maybe the first half of the year, those guys are going to be your kind of cemented in, but then, I, earlier I talked about just rookie running backs or handcuffs and those kind of players. I think your second half of these, these kind of drafts, you want more of those kind of players, more ceiling. Um, say your starter goes down and, and you have a lot of teams that are tanking at the end of the years or 
players are hurt. So you want these other guys to come in, come maybe take over in that second half. So that, that could be something to think about as well. That That's good stuff. That's good stuff. So uh, what, what, what's your name on drafters, James, and your name on underdog? So, uh, the people who listen can know when to, where to avoid you. Oh, yeah. No, I go by Eagles. So I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan, but I go by Eagles uh, with two Zs at the end. Um, in Canada, we call those Zs. So <laughs> two, three, uh, actually three Zs, three Zs. So sorry about that. But yeah. That's how I, that's how I knew you originally from the old Mike Beers uh, uh, best ball slack. Yeah, yeah, the command center. That was yeah. yeah. Beers, beers is kind of a legend in the space, right? So we all we all listen to beers. We we use his tools. We he has he gives us all the good stuff. <laughs> yeah, and we're going to do a lot of that this year. Um, I'll open up um, the, the screen and and show you guys the tools and how I use them um, in, in future episodes. So James, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, if you have anything. Uh, as we move along that you think would interest the listeners, let me know. I'd love to have you back on. No, God. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Todd and Eric. This is, I could talk basketball with all the time. So it's kind of a nice break Friday night. I have four young kids, so I'm just camped out in the basement and I get to talk about football in, in March. That's a, that's a win-win. In yeah, Salt yeah. Lake City. That is a win. <laughs> and, 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 is naked a win. Fi- and naked fish is gone. I heard. Uh, in Salt Lake City, if you know that sushi place. Oh, yeah. Um, well, um, it was great to have you. Uh, I, I, I did the banner with James's. Um, let me get that one last time. Um, that's how you can find James on Twitter. And um, I really appreciate you coming on, buddy. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Anytime. Uh, yeah, so I, I do write for football guys um, throughout the year. And I've also kind of starting my own website uh best ball rankings so i'm getting that up and going and, and juggling four kids and drafting thousands of teams so that's where i'm at <laughs> it's good to be young nice. i i wish i still had that kind of energy and mojo um maybe if i can lose some weight i'll get some of that back everyone james brim brimacombe uh from toronto uh from salt lake city by way of toronto james thank you so much for being part of the show um, now we're going to bring in um, anyone who's followed me along as we've done this uh, in the past. You'll know that I like to do segments. Um, and what we're going to be doing is the video. And then when I release the audio, I probably will break these up. I enjoy doing longer shows than most people do. Most, you know, the, the prevailing wisdom is after 45 minutes, no one cares. But I feel like I might not have as many listeners as some people, but most of the people who listen to me are pretty hardcore. So um, we've, we are going to have a draft expert who's going to help us with the rookies. Eric uh, also does a lot of work in that space. So for this next segment, we are going to bring in Shane Hallam. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Shane P. Hallam. Um, <laughs> Shane and I got into a FFPC uh, dyno, and we had completely different um, strategies. And uh, I'm still pissed that I gave you the wrong first round pick after, after not, um, you know, I, I had uh, a few injuries last year. 
Uh, hopefully I'll do better this year. But James is a big Devi guy, and I think he'll bring a lot to, um, you know, we're going to try and get him on a lot of different weeks before the draft, and we're going to go through. Um, it's it's so much content to get these uh, rookies, but we're going to start this week with the wide receiver and the quarterback, the best players. James, welcome to the show. Look, it's 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 nice to uh, hear your voice again, Todd. You know, the, the the first time I did, I was in the supermarket po- parking lot. We we made that trade. I got that first round pick that I wanted. So you know, it's it's uh it's nice to be on again, Eric. Uh, pleasure as all as always, yeah. man. I followed you for a while, so mm-hmm. nice seeing you. And I, I appreciate you guys having me on, man. It's it's fun yeah. to talk uh, talk rookies for sure. Absolutely. So um, let's start at the quarterback position. Um, Lawrence is the clear number one quarterback. A year or so ago, he was considered one of the best prospects at the position of all time. Shane, do you still think that he is? And what are the strengths of his game? And what concerns if any, do you have about him uh, taking his talent to the next level? Uh, to me, he, he still is. I have an article up at fakepigskin.com where I talk about why Trevor Lawrence is the best quarterback that I've ever scouted. And I, I started in 2004, uh, so and it's got Scout John Elway, you know, and so some of the some of the all time greats. But um, I, I think Trevor Lawrence is a player who was five star recruit out of high school, was by far you know the best player uh, to me coming into college, and rarely does that player come out of college with, with that same moniker. That almost never happens. Um, but when he had to step in as a freshman, you know, we saw some just advanced things happening in his game that I think continued to get better, especially into his sophomore year. Uh, and I think this past year, you know, there's been some people that have kind of knocked him. Um, but, you know, to me, he almost has looked he looked kind of bored. You know, they were just winning games, and he was uh, doing different things. And I felt like it, he was already ready, you know, before the season for the next step. Um, I think what he really does well, like he, he has the arm strength uh, to, to hit – uh, pass uh, all over the field. I wouldn't say it's elite. I wouldn't say it's the best of this class, you know, but I, I think it's, it's um, really good enough to be in the NFL. Uh, he has mobility, which I think is important today. He, he can run a little bit. He can move in the pocket. His great pocket presence. But I think the best part of his game is just the eye manipulation and how he manipulates. The defense. Uh, that's what he does better than anyone else is what you see him go from, you know, read one to read two to read three back to read two and make that pass. And he's moving that safety where he wants that safety to go uh, to make the passes he needs to make. And that's just such an advanced skill that I rarely see from a college player. And uh, like I said, he, he's the best I've ever seen do that. Um, there's always concerns. I, you know, no, no prospect is perfect. Uh, you can definitely find plenty of passes where he misses the mark or tries to throw uh, kind of in a perfect spot and it gets behind a, a player. Um, you can find bad passes of any player. And, I, and Trevor Lawrence has had them, uh, but I, I think it's something, especially when he's in Urban Meyer's offense, that I think is going to go by the wayside. So uh, to me, I think like in redraft leagues, he's going way too late as it is right now. Uh, and to get a player this caliber, you know, it's going to start day one, um, I think is worth it. Eric, um, Something you know, A, do you feel the same way as Shane? And B, um, I don't think people realize how much of a running um aspect that Mr. Lawrence brings to the equation. Yeah, yeah, he does have sneaky uh, mobility. Yeah, but I think Shane and I are aligned. I'm like, you look at Lawrence, I'm like, he's an accurate passer, uh, excellent vision, very good at throwing into tight windows. 
I would say an area of opportunity would just be he does have a tendency to kind of lock onto his primary read. So that's something that he can move it on to the next level that he can uh, improve upon. But like you look at the guy's statistical body of work, I'm like, it's phenomenal. I'm like, you know, from 2018 to 2020, like in, in Clemson, you know, he finished fourth in completions and second in passing touchdowns in school history. I'm like, he's NFL ready to Shane's point, and he's going to thrive. Uh, and, you know, we'll, we'll say he's going to the Jaguars, right? I think everyone's alive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. So he's going to thrive there. I think from like a fantasy lens, uh, I'm like, if you're in a super flex uh, format, dynasty league, yeah. the de facto, you know, 101, uh, but I would say if you're in a single quarterback dynasty format, I would want to target him in the later part of the first round. But yeah, he's a dynamic prospect. Um, what one aspect that I think we need to talk about a little bit here is uh, Urban Meyer coming to yeah. Jacksonville. Um, I, you know, w- we talk a lot about um, coaches and general managers drafting people and putting them in positions that don't make the best of their good qualities and hiding their bad qualities. I would have to guess uh, based on Urban Meyer and the way that he's always had mobile quarterbacks going back to Alex Smith at Utah, I would think that that only would enhance um, what Lawrence is going to, to be able to do in Jacksonville. Would you agree, Shane? I would agree. I actually think one of the things I like about Urban Meyer, like I don't think he's the squeakiest, cleanest coach. Uh, he probably doesn't, you know, have every no, any, every player. Dick. Yeah, I, like he's I don't think every player of, probably I mean, likes he's, him. He's kind of a dick, you know. But I, you know, I think one of the things that he did well, and then he at, doesn't feel good and he leaves after three yeah. years. But in the meantime, but, he probably wins the national championship. And, and and that's what's good about him, right? And in, in a way, is that he's he's very good at entering situations where he knows he's going to be successful, where he, he, you know, he, he waited how long before taking an NFL job. He was waiting for a, a place where he can get the best quarterback prospect of all time. And, and I do it too. And, you know, he's what's one thing he was very good at Utah and Florida and Ohio state was molding the offense around his players. Yeah. He, he has a system. He used a lot of those mesh points on the offense um, and he's going to continue to do that. Uh, but, he, he definitely tweaked offenses to the strengths of his players, like you said, Todd. And so I, I think that's that's one area where Lawrence will thrive is that if there's something that Lawrence isn't getting, they'll take it out. And he's very good at just taking it out. I mean, when he had, you know, Braxton Miller, quarterback, played receiver in the NFL, it wasn't like he was asking him to do the same things that Alex Smith did at Utah. Um, you know, it, it was changing what needs to be done. So that's 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 why I like the hire. I'm not going to say everybody's going to win a Super Bowl, but I think he's smart and he picked the right opportunity. He's going to you know, milk that opportunity and make sure he gets the best out of his players to have success. And, yeah, he's going to leave when things start look, not looking good. But uh, we don't really have to worry about that too much. Last very important question, and I'm going to ask Eric first, and then we're going to go to Shane with the same question on this situation is, you know, everyone loves LaVisca um, and kind of immediately assumes that he is going to fit what um, Urban Meyer does, um, DJ Shark, um, you know, James Robinson, Eric, which of the weapons are you highest and lowest on in the Jacksonville pecking order right now 
with Urban Meyer coming and Lawrence coming right behind him? Ooh, that's a really good question. Yeah, I'll, I'll just kind of go with my initial initial take. Uh, I'm, I'm really high on uh, LaVishka uh, just with his versatility. I'm like, yeah, he can, you know, take a rushing attempt and, and accumulate yards. I'm like, you know, he's a great receiver. And so I know he was someone that I mentioned, uh, Todd, in that column that we talked about uh, earlier, you know, with the, uh, the breakout receivers. And so I would say he's probably the one that I'm the highest on. Uh, with James Robinson, I would say he's one that, that I'm the lowest on. And I'm a huge fan of James Robinson. This isn't like an indictment of, of him. It's just that I'm like he's staring down the barrel of a running back by committee right now because uh, they are going to add on another running back. So that doesn't mean he can't be viable. I'm like he's he's still a viable you know running back redraft dynasty. It's just his value is going to take uh, a little bit of a hit with him adding another running back on. Uh, so TBD on who that is. Uh, the big name, small name, we don't know. We'll see. But he's probably the one that I'm a little bit uh, lower on than the others. Shane? I, I think the reason why uh, I like LaVisca as well is I think he's kind of bulletproof from a sense of whatever else they do on the offense. He's going to have a firm role. Jacksonville's top three in cap space. They're going to sign more offensive weapons. Eric talked about running back. It's going to happen. Tight end's going to happen. They might they'll pick up another receiver. Uh, and so if they, they – you know, sign a, a number one receiver, um, then I think DJ Chark is the one that just gets hit. He becomes the deep threat. You have kind of a stud free agent and LaVisca is going to have his role. So I think that's why people like uh, LaVisca is they're going to use him in that kind of Curtis Samuel, uh, Ohio State kind of role um, to, you know, run at the mesh point, get open underneath, um, run a lot of those drag routes, easy things that he can do and create yak. And, uh, you know, that's, that is what we love in, in fantasy and can produce a lot of catches. Um, Zach Wilson and Justin Fields seem to be most people's two and three. Um, Shane, uh, are they your two and three, and which one do you like better and why? They are. I like Justin Fields um, well above Zach Wilson. I think Zach Wilson will go higher in the NFL draft. I think Zach Wilson will be going number two to the New York Jets. Um, he – Look, he he ran poor, their offense poor, in college. Poor, poor, he ran, he, he, he ran Jet fans. I mean, <laughs> my goodness. You know, he ran the same offense in college. It's going to be a super easy transition. They've seen him make every every throw in that offense uh, this past year, and that's why they're going to like him. Um, I just I think Justin Fields has that um, big game experience. I think he has the mobility aspect. We saw him in, in the biggest game of his career throw six touchdowns against Clemson, um, and. People want to find those knocks on, you know, staring down his receivers too much. You know, he, he, Ryan Day's, the offense Ryan Day implemented when he got there, A, is not what Urban Meyer had, uh, which a lot of people want to talk about Dwayne Haskins and past high state quarterbacks. Uh, and B, there was a lot of option routes for receivers. And so he had to watch them to see what they were going to run. Um, so, you know, a, a lot of interceptions that he threw, you know, if you go back to that playoff game a year, a year before against Clemson, the, the interception at the end of the game was Chris Olave choosing the wrong option. Um, and that's why the, that interception was thrown that could have, you know, that completion could have won the game. So I, I think a lot of Justin Field, he, does he have, you know, problems with, uh, maybe trying to do too much or, uh, maybe, you know, he's, trying to make kind of uh, different decisions that he shouldn't make. Yeah. He, you know, he tries to force the ball when he has to make a big play, but um, you know, I, I think he's definitely the, the, the best uh, of the bunch. And then, you know, I think on the other side, I think Zach Wilson is really good downfield accurate, uh, had a really good season. Like I said, he has the arm, 
and can hit every area of the field. I think that's why the Jets will like him because he's hit every pass that they're going to ask him to make. Um, but I, the thing he, he doesn't do that I think Justin Fields does well is pre-snap, uh, reading the defense, knowing where the blitz is coming. I think Justin Fields has an incredible sense in the pocket. I think that's where Zach Wilson struggles. Uh, if you go back two years ago, I mean, playing against almost any team that tried to uh, kind of trick him pre-snap, do some stunts, uh, shield their blitz a bit, that's where he struggled. And he did it again against Coastal Carolina this year. It was better, but it wasn't quite there yet. And I think that's where he has a ways to go. My question on uh, Fields, Eric, is mm-hmm. his arm. Um, you know, it just looks almost Cam Newtonish at times uh, with him kind of struggling um, to, to, to get the ball where he wants it. Uh, do you agree with uh, Shane's uh, take uh, on these two quarterbacks? If not, uh, or do you have some disagreements? And do you have any questions about Justin Fields' arm? I don't have any questions about his arm, and I think Shane and I are aligned with these two quarterbacks. You know, I've got Justin Fields ahead of uh, Zach Wilson, and like you, you look at Fields. I think all of us would agree, and like he's lethal, like in the open field. I do like uh, his aggressiveness trying to push the the ball downfield. I would say what Fields needs to work on is just to get a little bit faster going through uh, his progressions. I'll kind of pivot to Zach Wilson and then kind of go back to Fields. But Wilson, I think everyone's like intoxicated by his arm strength. That's all that we hear about, arm strength. Zach Wilson, oh my gosh, great, love it. Okay, we get that. Like It's unparalleled against his uh, peers in the class. He's mobile, he's poised in the pocket, I think he does need to improve his anticipation and timing as he transitions to the NFL. But I'll kind of leave you with this on fields. Why, you know, he's a, he's my guy. I'm like, everyone's, everyone's enamored by the Konami code, you know, the, the running or not the running back, the quarterback who can run, uh, throw the ball downfield. I'm like, you look at fields. I'm like, he was a, a statistical dynamo at Ohio state, uh, played 22 games. I'm like, he accounted for 5,373 passing yards and 867 rushing yards through 63 touchdowns and only nine interceptions during that time frame. Like he's a better prospect than, than Wilson, in my opinion, and uh, he's going to get a shot. And I'm excited to see what happens. Um, I, I love this, man. We, we're going to be really good with you two guys bouncing off each other, <laughs> heading through the draft. I am, I am really excited about this. Um, and I can just sit back and ask questions uh, for the most part. I've heard a lot about Lance over the the last couple oh, yes. of weeks. And then um, you have your guys who like Mac Jones. Uh, Shane, your thoughts on those two? Are they your next two on the board? And if not, who is the guy that, um, you know, where do you see them? And do you, th- do you think they're franchise quarterbacks? And is there anyone else that you might put in ahead of them? I, I have him in that order. I have Trey Lance at four, Mac Jones at five. And Trey Lance is such a strange prospect to evaluate for me because from a fantasy perspective. It's a great like, name for a gay pirate. <laughs> well, well, look, look, I, I think you have a, a novel brew in there, Todd. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, look, I think from a fantasy perspective, like I want Trey Lance. Uh, he He's big. He's mobile. He's uh, one of the best running quarterbacks in this class, probably the best. Uh, and there's a lot that he can do for me in terms of, of uh, fantasy statistics on the ground with a big arm and a big strong arm. Um, I have some trepidation about his floor. I think I think he has a huge ceiling. This is a player that if you sit him for a year, he, he only played 17 games, the same as Mac Jones. Uh, mm-hmm. And 
you, you go back to the, you know, the first game I put on. What, what about Jordan Love? <laughs> I, I, I mean, is uh, you know, it, you, you know, uh, after you know the way Jordan Love ran up the board that day, um, am I just uh, you know, is there any reasonable reason to think of him like Jordan Love? Look, the Packers' mistake is not something we should put on Trey Lance. Let's like you know, Jordan Love going in the first is I think Trey Lance is a much better prospect than okay. Jordan Love was, uh, and, and I just I just think it was a big mistake. To, to draft him where they did. That, that's just my opinion. Like, Trey Lance's ceiling is really high, uh, but the, the first tape I'm going to put on of a player from North Dakota State where I didn't watch most of those games live is the national championship. He completed six passes. You know, he ran for 200-some yards. That's all they had him do because that, that's what worked. They won the game. He won the national title. Uh, but he completed six passes out of ten. Does and North so, Dakota State ever not win the national title? <laughs> I, I, uh, look, look, it was, uh, it seems like they're, they're this dynasty in the making now with three quarterbacks drafted the NFL in, in the past, what, five years. Um, but I, you know, I think, I think Lance to me, I, I think he needs to sit. I think if he gets experience, uh, his, you know, I, I wrote an article for Fig Pig's going to, about his game this year against Central Arkansas, but I didn't feel like he was a first round prospect. I think he has those tools, uh, that says this could be uh, you know all world if you build your offense around him. Um, but you know, I, th- I think he he gets kind of jittery with his feet. His footwork needs a lot of work. I think um, I think his pocket presence has some questions. Uh, but he's he's going to be really hard to tackle. He's going to be uh, very good at getting out of the pocket. He can throw the ball down the field. He can hit that sideline pass. I mean, train him up, it, it, Mahomes him, sit him. And uh, I, I think I, I think you could be excellent. That, you read my mind as you were describing him. I had a Mahomes bubble yeah. pop into my head. <laughs> like the, um, the, up, the upside's huge, but the downside's also huge. Well, and and that was my question for you, Eric. Uh, I want to hear your thoughts on these quarterbacks. But um, you know, the NFL is a copycat league, and um, and and Lance brings that uh, that the the legs that now t- you know it's like. The, uh, NFL teams finally have the okay to draft the running quarterback um, <laughs> after, you know, uh, the, the quote, you know, the, that old time, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust kind of guy, play action, throw the bomb. Um, you know, these teams finally have the memo on the running quarterbacks. Uh, uh, your thoughts on these guys? Yeah, I actually have uh, Jones uh, ahead of Trey Lance. So, you know, I respectfully disagree, you know, with Shane. I kind of have him flip-flop, but um, well, that's I guess what makes with, the show good. <laughs> I, I guess with Lance, uh, I'm like, we know about his athleticism. I know he throws very well in, I guess, the, the short passing uh, short passing game. Uh, I would just like to see him improve in throwing, like, in those tighter windows because they are really tight in, in the NFL. Now, with Jones – I'm like, I think he's phenomenal at manipulating the pocket and really anticipating throws. The guy has really good field vision. He doesn't have an elite arm, so I'm not even going to pretend that he does. And I think he can end up being like a game manager to a degree uh, at the next level. Um, but one thing with Jones, I'm like, you just look at his time in Alabama. He's like backing up to a Jalen Hurts. His like first three seasons at, at Bama. You know, he entered, you know, last year as a starter, you know, led Bama to a national championship. Now, last season, like Jones is Alabama's all-time single-season passing yardage leader, you know, 4,500 yards. I'm like, he's recorded four 
uh, four out of 10 of Alabama's uh, in school history, their 400 or more yards passing performances, you know, in school history. Uh, I know he, he threw the ball really well, like when you look at deep yards and pro football focus and those, him to succeed like at the next level, which I'd like to see. I think he would benefit by landing in a situation where he could sit, you know, behind a veteran for a season or two. Like you said, Mahomes him, you know, absorb the offense. And I'd love to see him land like with like the Steelers. I'm like, if he lands with the Steelers, you know, I'm a Alabama roll tide guy. I'm going to do a backflip. I won't record it. But I'm going to do a backflip if that happens. <laughs> well, uh, I, I I might be able to get out of my chair and make it to bed. <laughs> so uh, the, the level of my athleticism isn't what it was. Um, let's move over to the wide receiver position, and we're going to run a little long. And I frankly don't give a crap as long as you guys can keep going. Um, I want to get through the top wide receivers, and I think this was a fabulous conversation on the quarterbacks. Uh, We're not going to get into them, but I do want to ask first, Eric, and then Shane, uh, just give me a name of a guy out of the top five that could surprise. Out of the top five for uh, wide receivers or quarterbacks? Quarterback. Outside of the guys that we've talked about, is there a guy that you kind of – Say you, you, you know what it, it, he could you know he could be the next Tom Brady. Well, I, uh, go yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you want me go? You want to start? I'm mean, start. Yeah, I, my yeah, my guy is probably Davis Mills, the quarterback from Stanford, uh, who who I think is going to get drafted. You know, third day. Uh, and the reason is he just didn't play a whole lot. That's such and, a great Stanford name. <laughs> just, just run, Davis you know, Mills. Davis Mills. <laughs> he was, he was, he was a big time prospect. He forced KJ Costello out of there. Um, really good arm. Uh, has some, some really good highlight tight passes in the back of the end zone over defenders. Like some really good traits. He didn't, he didn't start a ton. He doesn't have much experience. He's pretty raw. Um, not like super mobile. And so I think teams are just going to be weary of taking him high when they haven't seen a lot of him. But if I, if, you know, if we're talking like, okay, who's, who has big upside that we don't know a lot about, I think he's that player. I think there's a lot of like uh, singles out there, backups in the NFL that are going to mm-hmm. stick for 10 years. Um, and, you know, that's not going to be a guy that's going to give you upside. I, I think Mills is probably my, my upside play. Of the third day, and that's what I was asking for. All right, let's move over to wide receiver. Um, Eric's got to give his though. I I, want to hear. hear Well, I I was trying to get him off the hot. I could tell I put him on the griddle. (laughs) I I want to know. I was trying to let him off the griddle, and then Shane dragged him back in. (laughs) He's my new partner. I don't want him quitting after one podcast. (laughs) It's like that's it. I'm done. No. I was thinking for some reason this guy popped into my mind. I'm like, Kellen Mond. Yeah. I'm like, I, I was just, I was just thinking from, uh, you know, from watching. Sounds, a lot of sounds like a dude who like eats four edibles and goes out on the field. <laughs> yeah, Mond. <laughs> I, you know, I just think that you know he was, um, he was very like inconsistent and like underperformed, and McKenna had a solid season. So he's a, he's a guy that that I think could. Uh, Who's that outside of that top, you know, that top five, you know, that could uh, surprise a lot of people. So, Oh, man, I'm wondering what Todd's doing there. 
<laughs> oh, he's got no. I, look, I, I like Kellamond uh, a lot. Uh, I actually really liked him after his sophomore season when he yeah. flashed some of those big plays. I was like, oh, this is you know, the guy with arm talent. And then he just mm-hmm. he just never got more consistent. Like he was waiting for that breakout year. And this year, uh, they seem to just trend to the run game to mm-hmm. kind of protect him a little bit. But yeah. you know, which doesn't necessarily mean that you know he's bad. But I think day two, someone takes him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, I, I'm kind of with you. I think if he goes to a good spot, the team needs a quarterback. Like, yeah, I, I might, I might be in, you know, late rounds of super flex drafts and and take a shot. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I just eliminated myself from the show. <laughs> trying, we were to show trying to show my stuffed hippo, and he he disconnected me. <laughs> and I have no idea how to get myself back. Right. I guess um, I'm leading from the front. I, I can well, take it. I am. I am going to do that. Uh, well, you know, I, I, but back to my original statement, which is as a, uh, you know, I definitely have a face made for radio. Um, but let's start with the wide receivers. I will ask the questions, even though I'm not here. Um, uh, Chase is uh, Jamar Chase is the clear number one. Um, Shane, the only thing I worry about is, you know, when I watch tape and I didn't watch a ton of it, um, he seemed to use his size a lot. Um, and I always worry about guys uh, who seem to struggle to get separation coming out when I watch tape. Do you have any hesitancy on Jamar Chase? And is he your number one? He, he's my number one um, by a decent margin uh, for me as well. Um, and, and look, I, I think, I think there's a worry sometimes of him getting offline and getting that separation consistently, but I mean, show me a wide receiver that does that consistently. You don't have to necessarily hit it every play. I think, I think he hit it a lot more than most prospects do. Um, I just think he has a natural feel for the position. He has that athleticism. He has that nice stride. Uh, I think he plays bigger than he is and, and he has good size, uh, to boot, um, I, you know, I really like how he, how he tracks the ball and adjusted to, you know, Joe Burrow wasn't always perfect throwing the football. Mm-hmm. I think he adjusted the passes really well uh, and was really a monster after the catch. I mean, just some of the things that he did after the catch um, mm-hmm. was so good. So, yeah, I, I don't know if he'll – I think there's a chance he's not the first receiver off the board. Uh, but, you know, no matter where he kind of lands, I think mm-hmm. he'll go in that top ten for sure and will be my wide receiver one no matter what the spot is. He, he kind of yeah, reminds no. me, and again, I didn't watch a lot of tape, Eric, but he kind of reminded me of Hakeem Nix. Um, your thoughts on Jamar Chase? Yeah, and, and I'll be brief, you know, just so we can kind of hit on all these players, is that, uh, no, I, I agree with Shane. You know, he's my number one guy. I know he opted out last season to kind of concentrate on his, uh, you know, upcoming NFL career, but he set SEC records during the 2019 season, you know, with 84 receptions and 1,780 receiving yards. So, yeah, he's my uh, wide receiver one from a uh, fantasy dynasty lens. Um, Devonta Smith had just one of those years that you mm-hmm. fantasize about. Um, and it brings up the old question about, you know, um, what a guy can do on a football field and what his measurables are. Right. So he's not the biggest guy. Uh, Shane, um, your thoughts on Devonta Smith. And a lot of people don't even like him as the best wide receiver on his team coming into the draft. Uh, Talk about Mr. Waddle and Mr. Smith. 
I, Devonta Smith's my wide receiver too. Um, I, I think the upside is there. I think we saw it this season. Mm-hmm. I have fear. I have fear uh, of him and, and Jalen Waddle, especially in, from a fantasy football perspective. Uh, look, I, I think Devonta Smith knows how to play. I think he's one of the smartest receivers in this class. Like, I think he knows how to. Uh, one of the things I thought he was best at was reading the corner, knowing almost exactly what they were going to do and doing the opposite to get himself open and catch the football. And I, I think that's a tremendous skill. I just don't know if that will always translate to the NFL where, you know, maybe you need to be 185, 190 pounds um, and, and use that weight and, and not, you know, not get bullied. And he didn't in college. He's playing against good corners. Uh, you know, but I do have some trepidation there. Uh, but, I, you know, I think that he has the skill set, the, the mind and the speed and athletic ability to still be really good. Uh, so I think the upside's huge for him. Um, and I think Jalen Waddle has ups, has big upside too. You know, Waddle is uh, very fast. He's very athletic. I really wish we could have seen him for a full season because I think he was just getting there. I think he was showcasing uh, the potential that he has. Um, I think my fear from a fantasy perspective with these two is just, are they true alpha number ones? You know, that's really what I want in my fantasy team. I, I can find a three dozen wide receiver twos. And we can find a ton of those guys that are pretty close. And uh, I just don't know if either of these players are going to dominate at the next level. Mm-hmm. So um, Jalen Waddle's my wide receiver five. Not that I think he's bad. I think it's a really good receiver class. There's a couple guys, sleeper guys I have, you know, we'll higher than him. And, and we'll get there. And we'll get uh, there. But I think, I think, you know, I think both of them could have success, mm-hmm. maybe not fantasy success. One of the, and I love that point about looking for number ones. I think that that is something that not everyone does, even NFL teams. And, um, you know, we saw Henry Ruggs last year, and that'll be part of my question to you, Eric. Uh, mm-hmm. But what I will say about Devonta Smith, I like the same thing in Devonta Smith I liked in Calvin Ridley coming out. His ability, that that short area quickness, that, that ability to just put his foot in the ground, make a cut, and get open. Mm-hmm. And I think where his size could hurt him is when he's on the outside. He might be that guy who, who needs to be in the slot more than some other guys because of his size. But you, you look at the Wes Welkers, you look at the Julian Edelman, that, that, that small, quick guy who is just able to make a cut and get open on the slants and the crosses – um, that that's where I, I really like Smith, just like I did Ridley coming out. Um, and as far as Waddle goes, uh, so I want obviously your thoughts on that, Eric. And then mm-hmm. I also want your thoughts. A lot of people, people, it's people will always go to the simplest, uh, comparisons and the simplest comparison is Waddle to rugs. So I, I'd like mm-hmm. to get your thoughts on that. Okay. So like on uh, Smith and then on, on Waddle. Yeah. Uh, I guess with Waddle, then I'll pivot back to Smith. It's um, I guess with Waddle, I, I I could see someone making like the you know the rugs comparison. I'm like with Waddle, I'm like he's really consistent with uh, you know getting separation and uh, you know he's an athlete, you know great athleticism. Uh, I like his ability to generate yards uh, after the catch. I would say where he needs to improve is like with his route running, you know to really make an impact, uh, you know at the next level. I'm like everyone's looking at Devontae Smith is, um, you know, I guess like the, the the guy. I almost feel like vibes of like Amari Cooper coming out. Like he's a great route runner. He's this, you know, he's 
excels at everything. He's, you know, he's pro ready. And, and I think it's a lot of truth to that. I'm like, he's explosive out of his cuts. You know, he's dangerous in the open field, uh, a really good route runner. Uh, so I think he'll be able to immediately contribute at the next level. So I'm really curious to see, uh, you know, where Smith lands. Yeah, that's my take on both of those players. I wanted to get your thoughts on some of the things I said, Shane, um, as it relates to Smith and Waddle, and then um, I'd like to hear who your three and four are. Sure. So I, I agree with you. I, I think Devonta Smith's uh, short area quickness could really get him a win, uh, and that's why I think he could be kind of a unique guy and, and smash the analytics a bit and, and be very good. Um, my, my my three is Rashad Bateman, the wide receiver from Minnesota, who I think most people have relatively high analytics really like him i really like him i think he could draft stock wise be kind of t higgins maybe just fall out of the first round um or late first i think he's in that kind of 25 to 35 range uh but i mean he, i think he's he's one of the best definitely the best slant runner of the class he did a ton of that at minnesota um and after the catch there's a lot there and i i think you know tyler johnson a lot of people loved him um, you know, I, I think Rashad Bateman made that offense. He was much better than Johnson. He made Tanner Morgan look much better. I think Bateman uh, could be one of those alphas. And then my number four guy, most people have lower. Hold, hold on one second sure. before you get to that. I, I, I want to, you know, we, we talked about uh, Jamar Chase and just not <clears throat> just not when, he, you know, when he's putting that initial move on, it's almost like at times it feels like he's in mud a little bit, right? And then he, you find Jamar Chase a lot of times leaning and pushing on the cornerback to try and get separation. I, Bateman was just the opposite for me. You know, when I watch, and, and I haven't watched a ton of tape yet, but when I watch Bateman, he's got that smooth, to me, get off the ball that I like to see in wide receivers. Yeah, I think I think he knows how to use his athletic abilities, right? To, and that's to, why to he did so many slants, right? Right. Because if you can do that well, no one's going to stop you. You know, like it's it's hard for any corner, no matter their physical talents, especially in the NFL, where you can't, you know, where it gets tough to, to kind of hit guys five yards off the line um, to stop that slant. So I, I'm, I'm a fan. I think as long as he doesn't go to like a Baltimore or somewhere – where you can just get lost uh, in terms of passes. Uh, I'm, I'm I, I don't get the hate. I, I see a lot of people hating on Bateman. Mm-hmm. And again, I didn't watch a lot, but I I, I don't get it. Uh, let, yeah. Let's hear your number four now. Sorry for interrupting. No, no, you're good. Uh, my, my number four is uh, I'm higher on than, than almost everyone. Uh, but when I'm looking for an alpha, I see this. I think it's Terrace Marshall, the yes. other wide receiver from LSU. <laughs> <laughs> And, like, you know, we talk about these Alabama guys. Like, there's a possibility none of them are that great. But I think, like, we saw Justin Jefferson you know, be the, have the best rookie year ever. Uh, I feel confident that Jamar Chase is going to be very good. And I think, like, Terrace Marshall was catching – everything he caught was a touchdown. Uh, and this year he, he played and was the, the, the man – without the Joe Burrow quarterback. And he was still producing uh, and getting separation. And, you know, it, he has good size. He was a player that I, I drafted in some Debbie leagues when he was in high school, um, just seeing him high point footballs and be able to track balls. And then, you know, after the catch, he, he knows how to use his size and, and, and um, kind of that short area ability to make players miss. Like he kind of looks like a running back in the way that, that uh, yeah. guys have trouble tackling him. And, and it's like, 
you know, it's not that he's over, you know, being super physical or being super elusive, but he knows how to kind of stop and restart very quickly and get to top speed quickly. Um, so like we talked about, I mean, I, I really want those potential number one receivers. I think Bateman and Marshall are two of those guys that maybe don't go in the first round of the NFL draft, but really have that potential to go early round two. Yeah, yeah. We've, se- we've seen how draft position is important to a point. But we've also, you know, the difference between a second rounder and a first rounder, teams are still very high on these guys. Um, So to me, it's less that difference. Um, I definitely want to get your thoughts, Eric, um, because (laughs) when he said Marshall, your head went up and down. I haven't had a chance to see Marshall yet, so Mm -hmm. he's going to be next up on my list to watch. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Give us your thoughts here. Yeah, yeah, I can do that. Uh, Yeah, because with Marshall – I'm like he's got that frame of like your prototypical NFL receiver. I'm like if you if you look at him, I'm like he's got a really great uh, catch radius. Uh, I love his play speed. Uh, I would just say one area where he, you know, if you're really diving into metrics and all that sort of thing, where he doesn't really compare well like with others in his class is in his agility. But with all the other things that he brings to the table, I just think he's really underrated uh, going into this uh, into this year's draft. So he's a guy I'm uh, I'm really high on, and I think a guy like even Rashad Bateman. I know we kind of spoke briefly about him. I think he's really one of the best route runners in this draft class. He's another guy that I'm really high on as well. Give me a route runner. I, I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I it, it it you know you need other things obviously, but um, and that's my that's my fear with Jamar Chase, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 I mean, again, I didn't watch a ton. Do you feel pretty confident in his uh, route running ability, Shane? No, I don't care that much, though. Like, I think I've learned. I think if you're a really good route runner, you can win that way. But I don't think you. I, I kind of disagree because I don't think you need it. I mean, I look, you look at. Oh, DK I didn't Mick. say that's the only way you can. No, win. no, oh, that's no, why no. I asked no. the question. No, absolutely. And you said you said that too, right? Like, you need other things. I, I think Jamar Chase. Like DK Metcalf, you know, like you, right. you can you can win with with that raw ability. Um, so I think in terms of like getting off the line, no, Jamar Chase isn't in the level of, of a Rashad Bateman or or, or Devonta Smith. Um, but I think once he's off the line, even if he doesn't get separation, there's not much you can do to stop him. And, and to me, that's that's really where you know, why he's going to succeed in the NFL is because you usually don't get a ton of separation in the NFL. I think it's, it's really hard to do. Uh, and I don't think he has to, to win. And that, that's going to be helpful for him as well. Yeah. And that's where I, I always say that, you know, I'm here to learn as much, you know, I'll give an opinion, but I'm here to learn. You got, you know, I know, you know, this stuff better than I do. Um, all right, let's move on to Rondale white, Rondale Moore. I'm sorry. Um, you know, he is the darling of darlings in a sense. Um, when I, I, Again, I haven't watched that much of his tape, but I do know that guys that size need to be super elusive. And I see him more as I, – when I see him break tackles, a lot of times it's with strength rather than with, um, you know, just that overwhelming quickness that I like to see from small guys. Shane, your thoughts on Rondell? I think he's an excellent, you know, short area athlete because I think he has both. I I think he can use his strength, but uh, he has some good footwork um, that I think really works for him. He's my wide receiver six. My questions kind of come with 
most of his receptions the last two years, and he didn't play a ton of games. Came behind the line of scrimmage, came within a yard or two of the line of scrimmage. I mean, that that was Purdue's game when he was when he was there. They're just throwing short passes and let him do his thing after the catch, uh, which he could do. <laughs> I mean, he he could do. He, I mean, you can go back three years ago to that Ohio State game, and, and really, you'll you know, you'll almost instantly fall in love in 2018 with him. Uh, it's very easy to do. And so, you know, they they were pelting. I mean, he had a, a 15 catch game, a 13 catch game. Um, in the you know between the three games that he played this year, that that was kind of the game plan, uh, and he could do it. I think my fear once again is just just usage in the NFL. Like I think he's a really good player, uh, and if he gets to the right scheme that wants to pelt him with targets, then yeah, he's I think he's going to catch a lot of passes. He could be um, you know kind of what Deontay Johnson was was trying to be with Pittsburgh. He didn't drop everything. You know I think Rondell Moore could could do that and do a little more after the catch. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure if he's going to get that kind of usage and those the, that those target numbers in the NFL. Uh, and so I, I almost see him as kind of I don't say a trick player. I think that's um, putting him down too much. But I almost see a, a role player that is there for a specific purpose and not kind of a consistent top end receiver. Yeah, I, I think that's fair, um, Eric. Um, I'm going to throw Kadarius Tony at you. Kadarius Tony. Man, I was getting ready to, to comment on uh, oh, on Joe Moore. Yeah. Hey, look, this is uh, we are not ESPN. Feel free. <laughs> yeah, so I'll do that. And, and like I mentioned, I'll have to drop. I've got a, a family commitment. One thing I know is that Shane can yeah. talk on any of these guys. <laughs> yeah. So I'll, uh, I'll 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 close out with um, I, I guess with with Moore because I, I like him quite a bit. I know I think Shane and I are aligned there. I think my big concern with Moore is. Uh, Really, just with like his, he needs to improve his catching ability. I'm just, I'm just so concerned about that, especially at the next level, because you you don't get uh, many freebies in the NFL, <laughs> and so I can see that end up being a problem if he doesn't uh, doesn't improve on that. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Um, yeah, I want to get the. Uh, no, you're good. But no, but Shane, it's been a uh, it's been a pleasure uh, pleasure chatting with you. Until next time, sir. Yeah, yeah. Yep, I think that is going to do it. We uh, we we did our bit for God and Country, and uh, Shane, <laughs> you're going to be a dynamite addition. I'm so glad that you've agreed to come on uh, pretty often and help us with rookies. Um, and I, you know, when we get to Dynasty, I would love to, you know, dig a little deeper into your knowledge there. Um, you you seem to have a pretty good reputation in the space. So thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Nice talking with you both. All right, you got it. All right, uh, we're going to finish up with uh, Eric. Uh, Just want to thank you for agreeing to join the pod. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. I think this went about as good as I could have hoped, and I'm looking Mm -hmm. forward to working with you, my friend. No, no, agreed. I think the first episode was great. You know, feelings mutual. You know, looking forward to uh, working with you and kind of growing this thing. And so – uh, I know we're both active, you know, on Twitter and also on Clubhouse. So if anyone that's listening uh, that has any questions, uh, want to bounce things off of us, but you know, I can't stress enough, reach out to us. Uh, we'll answer those questions and uh, we'd love to talk about more of those things on the pod as well. Yep. I will be posting over the next couple of days this on uh, audio. Uh, okay. So, if, you know, probably break it uh, once after the James uh, Br- Brimacombe uh, 
uh, segment, and then I'll a day or two later I'll put out the Shane Hallam on uh, iTunes and Stitcher. If you would do us the kindness of following us on YouTube, helping us to build the audience, uh, retweeting if you enjoyed the program. Um, thank you to Eric. Thank you to the FFPC, and we'll mm -hmm. see you next week. All right. Until next time. <laughs>